right, good morning, church. It is good to be with you all. Um, you, you know, like at a church service, you don't need to know what the date is. You know when there's a holiday, when there's a lot more empty seats. But I'm glad that we're all here today. Um, I'm Daniel, like Pastor Tom mentioned, and I'm part of staff here as the college and Sunday operations director. And yeah, it's really good to be back on campus, even though we can kind of barely feel the AC right now. We promise you it's on. Uh, hopefully, you know, throughout the service, throughout the sermon, we can feel it a little bit more. But yeah, it's good to be back on campus just because we, uh, like we mentioned, uh, last week we're at retreat. So I know a lot of people here were, were there, and it was really just an encouraging time together. And, you know, one of the big blessings for me personally were the meal times. Uh, we had all together where um, I got to sit down and rub shoulders with so many people, so many different members of our church from like collegians to eating uh, dinner next to like Theo and Abby and all the kids and the married couples. And it was really just uh, the feeling of church as a family. So that was nice. And yeah, as Pastor Tom mentioned, we want to kind of continue that. And so I'm looking forward to having uh, lunch with you all at the cafeteria after service. And again, if you're a newcomer, it's the perfect uh, opportunity to come and meet more people and just kind of find out a little bit more about our church as well. So, yeah, we've been going through a series the past three weeks uh, entitled Every Member Ministry. And, you know, as we come out of the season of rest and into the new church year, our, our pastoral staff, we wanted to devote a series to, again, um, give us rest, but also to activate us, to, to have every member of our church just understand um, that we all have a purpose, a gift, and a specific ministry towards each other. And today, I've been tasked with uh, the, the topic, the very fun topic of sacrifice, right? It's always fun for a sermon on sacrifice to be uh, given. But if you remember, the very first sermon of our series, uh, Pastor Tom, he mentioned that a danger of the modern church today is, uh, especially post-COVID, is to become professional spectators, right? Instead of engaging and getting involved in the life of the ministry, of the church, the temptation for us is to simply become consumers, to, to kind of enjoy the benefits of church on the Sundays. Yet the consistent pattern that we see in the Bible and all throughout church history is that every member exercises their gifts and talents. They sacrifice their time, energy, and in some cases even their own lives for the sake of Christ and his church. And I want to caveat from the beginning that uh, the practical application today is not uh, going to be, okay, now sign up for a ministry to sacrifice your time and all that. Uh, this sermon is not meant to uh, in any way condemn or be a guilt trip for anyone. Uh, because I want to acknowledge, I want to recognize that there are so many of us here today um, that have sacrificed throughout the years so much of their service, right? From moving here in uh, September of 2019 to... Um, going to the season of virtual pre-recorded worship, you guys remember that? Like having a team do that and then regathering here about a year ago and finding our footing. There have just been so many people that God has provided with the exact talents and gifts that our church needed. So again, the practical application is not going to be served more, right? It's not going to be sacrificed more. But if anything, I hope that in our time today I can encourage all of us this morning. I hope that especially for those of you that have been faithfully serving... And particularly for those of you that might be really tired, still burnt out. So ho hopefully we can do that. And the way we're going to do that is we're going to look at a passage in Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians. So we're going to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And if you have your programs or your Bibles, we can turn there. And 
Yeah, just a heads up, I won't be explaining every single verse. It is kind of a long passage, but I will be drawing out some main observations from it. So if you're there, um, read with me 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting from verse 1. Paul writes, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor do we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. This is the reading of God's word. If you haven't noticed by now, actually it's uh, impossible not to notice, uh, we are in a heat wave in Southern California. And I don't know if you guys have been getting these too, but I've been getting text messages in Korean for some reason uh, from the State Public Utilities Commission since last week to, to turn power off, to conserve energy, do our part, right? Effectively, the state of California, they've been asking its citizens to sacrifice their TV, uh, their laundry, charging their cars, uh, especially between 4 to 9 p.m. to lower the demand on electricity. And if I can just be honest, uh, my family has definitely not been heeding this call. Right? We saw that as too great a sacrifice, I cannot work in my room. It is just like a sauna in there. So we've had the AC and fan going on all day, and hopefully I'm not alone. Hopefully, who knows. But when I read some articles explaining uh, the flex alerts, that's what the text messages are called, flex alerts. The reasoning goes that, you know, as the weather gets hotter, more and more people are going to stay inside. They're going to turn on their AC, use their home appliances. And what that does is it, it just puts so much stress on our power grid and uh, potentially the disasters that could arise are, you know, power outages, blackouts, and, you know, ex on an extreme degree, even like wildfires near power plants and grid lines. So, you know, when I read these articles, I was like, oh, man, like, I have to take these flex alerts a little bit more seriously, like, even if they're in Korean and I have to, like, kind of, like, really understand what it's saying. But it's so easy for, it was so easy for me to ignore these texts, these flex alerts, but when I read these articles, it reframed um, these texts as not just something to laugh at and ignore, but really as something to take a little bit more seriously. And just like those articles that I read, I believe that our passage today, it's going to help us to reframe how we view this fun topic of sacrifice. If you come from a church background like me, and especially from a smaller church, uh, ministry and serving and sacrifice, that's just kind of like the air that you breathe. Right? And this can, this can play out beautifully where everyone is doing their part, or it, a lot of cases it gets taken to an unhealthy extreme. 
Others of us, we might have negative experiences, right? Whether it's churches or parachurch organizations that really just call on you to, hey, like, you have to sacrifice for the sake of the kingdom, right? Whatever your experience has been, I hope that we can see from Paul's letter how we can become not only individuals, but a church that has a very healthy understanding and application of sacrifice in our ministry. So what our goal is for today is to reframe this idea of sacrifice. And to do this, we're going to look at the two motivations of sacrificial ministry. And the first motivation is recognition. Right? Where, where do we seek recognition from when we serve? Do, should we even want recognition? And the second motivation is love. What place does love have in our service? Right, so we're going to look at recognition and love as the two uh, main motivations for sacrifice. And after we take a look at those two things, we're going to look at the result of sacrifice. Right, what, what happens when a church uh, practices sacrifice in a healthy way? Um, how does it change us? How does it transform our culture? So we're going to look at two motivations and a result. So the first one, uh, recognition, um, we'll look at that. And to give some context for our passage, Paul, he wrote this letter to the Thessalonians after he and his missionary team, uh, they went from Philippi and planted the church. They spent, scholars say, about 18 months there. And they found some success, right? They converted uh, some Jewish people there and other Gentiles and they were having success, but they had to leave because uh, the, the Jews in Thessalonica, they were kind of getting angry. They didn't like what was happening. So now what Paul's doing is he's writing a letter. He's checking in on them. He's encouraging them to continue to live in the way faithfully before the Lord that he had taught them to. And Paul reminds the, the Thessalonians how his ministry started, right? Verse 2 tells, him, tells us that their, he and his team, they were just beaten and jailed in Philippi for preaching the gospel. And... Yet here they are, coming to do the same exact thing. Uh, verse 9, Paul writes that they worked night and day, that they might not be a burden to any of them. Meaning, he didn't ask them for any help, any, any resources, money, or food. Instead, him and his team, they, they worked 9 to 5 jobs just to provide for themselves. And the question is, why? Why does Paul go through all this trouble and hassle uh, to, to minister, to sacrifice for the Thessalonians? And when we look at verse 4, Paul spells it out clearly for us, right? Paul says, but just as we've been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. It's not to please man. It's not for the sake of the Thessalonians primarily, but it's to please God. And in verse 4, he makes it absolutely, um, verse 6, he makes it absolutely unmistakable, right? He says that they didn't seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though they could have made demands as apostles of Christ. Right? The motivation that Paul had in sacrificing his time, his energy, and everything for this ministry was not to be recognized. It was not to get glory from people, but it was simply to please God. You know, I started watching this Korean show on Netflix called Change Days. Please don't judge me. But for those that don't know what this show is about, the premise is that there are these four couples in Korea that are on the brink of breaking up. Right? They, have, they have all these issues within their relationships. So the showrunners are like, hey, the perfect solution is for all four of them to take a two-week vacation um, and live in the same house together. And, and not only that, but hey, during those two weeks, just take turns going on dates with one another. And at the end of two weeks... Uh, you can decide, hey, I want to stay in this relationship, I want to break up, or 
hey, like, I met this new guy or new girl, like, let's get together. And it honestly got way too toxic for me, so I stopped watching it a couple weeks ago, so I'm, I'm not caught up. I don't know what else has happened there. Uh, but straight from the start, there's this one guy that really just, like, irked me, that, like, got on my nerves, and his name is Hyogi, and... You know, whenever he would talk to his girl, okay, some people will watch this, you guys are laughing. Whenever he would talk to his girlfriend, right, he would bring up, like, hey, like, I wish you would just acknowledge how much I sacrifice for you. Like, I pick, you don't have a car, I pick you up, I drop you off, I buy you this, I buy you food, I do all these things. Like, if you just acknowledge my sacrifice for you, like, we wouldn't have any issues in our relationship. And to make things worse, it's not just when he's talking to her, but he talks about this with everyone, right? He has, like, one-on-ones with the guys and the girls, and he tells them, like, oh, my gosh, I'm doing so much. And the motivation, it seems to me, is for Hyogi, is that he just wants recognition. He wants people to acknowledge, man, you're doing so much. Like, good job. Rather than to love and serve and care his girlfriend, right, which is what he should be doing. Right? It's completely backwards. And... I say this not to say that we're all yogis with ministry. We're not all wanting uh, adoration. In fact, I think at our church, I've never heard anyone, like, say that, oh, my goodness, I do so much. Oh, my goodness, like, I need to be recognized more. I need more appreciation. In fact, I've noticed that whenever we do want to kind of, like, acknowledge people, like, we get very self-conscious and, like, awkward. It's like, oh, no, no, like, it's all good, right? But I think the far greater temptation for our church is is people don't burn out because we don't get enough recognition or validation from one another. And the the far greater temptation for us is that service, it becomes this duty. It becomes this way of kind of gaining uh, or favor, right? And and I speak from personal experience, but if you serve long enough within the church, right, it can so easily become uh, a way to view ministry through this lens of duty, right? Greeting newcomers or coming early to, to rehearse for praise, like that can so easily, so quickly become routine. Or you, you continue to serve in education year after year or, you know, in the hot, hot weather, like you fill the snack cart because, hey, like I made this commitment and I don't want to let down my ministry lead, right? Like those are all very hypothetical things. And I speak as a guy that oversees Sunday operations. It requires all the more sacrifice at a mobile church like ours, Right? I think just by virtue of us not having or owning a building, we just inherently need more time, more people, more sacrifice for us to have a Sunday worship service. And if I'm honest, at times, I can feel it myself that when serving gets, it feels corporate or programmatic. And serving so easily for us, it can become too big a sacrifice to make and we we burn out. And that happens because we lose sight of the fact that it's not for for people. It's not necessarily just for the sake of running a program, but it's for the sake of serving God. Right? Over, over time, the attitude towards sacrifice and serving, it can go from, Lord, I want to use my gifts and talents to, to really serve the church, to, Lord, oh my goodness, I'm doing so much. Like, can't you see that I, I'm, I'm like burning out here? Right? And we lose our joy. And yet the reality is that in the church, if every member is doing ministry, if every member is pouring into uh, the body, there is just a degree of sacrifice. That's just reality. We're not all apostles or church planners like Paul, but this letter, it shows us perhaps how he was able to fight against feeling bitter or overburdened. And it's very simple, right? He connected everything to God. 
right? Just take, just take a look at the passage. Look at how many times he mentions God in the passage, right? Verse 2, we have boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God. Verse 4, just to be been approved by God, to please God. God is with, like, he, everything that he does, his ministry, his sacrifice, his service, it's all connected to God. It's never to, uh, to show off, oh, God, this is how much I'm doing. This is how much I've sacrificed. There's never a complaint in his letters, right? Paul's motivation was to please God through his sacrifice. It wasn't to show it off to him or to others. Rather, he recognized how God was involved in his service, how God was allowing him to have that margin to sacrifice. And I think for us... If I could encourage us, I don't think it's over-spiritualizing to see how everything we do, whether it's like official ministry or community groups or just the way we live our lives, I don't think it would be over-spiritualizing things for us to see how is this pleasing God? How how is every sacrifice we're making, how is it serving God? And it's when we reframe our motivation to please God, not prove our worth to him, that's going to allow us, like Paul, to have the margin in our lives to make these sacrifices. Right, rather than longing for recognition from man and from others, it's to recognize God in the midst of your sacrifice. So if, if you're serving, if you find, ever find yourself getting bitter or start thinking about, man, like I'm doing so much, I'm pouring in more than I should, uh, might I just encourage all of us, just zoom out from the task or the ministry at hand, just kind of see big picture. Like, how is my service pleasing to God? How is what I'm doing connected to the kingdom of God, right? Reframe your sacrifice as purposeful rather than a duty or an obligation. So that's the first motivation of recognition that we reframe. And the second one that we're going to look at is love. How does Paul approach love and sacrifice? Now, it might seem obvious, right? Like the Christian answer for a lot of things is like, oh, it's because of Jesus or, oh, like we should do it in love. Um, but what I personally found to be the most moving section of this passage is where we're going to be camping out for the rest of the sermon. We're going to be looking at just two verses in verses 7 and 8. So I'm going to read that for us again just to hear, listen to see just the, the language of love that Paul uses. Paul says, but we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you... We were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. Because you had become very dear to us. It's very evident in just these two verses and the rest of this letter, how much Paul cared for the Thessalonians. How much love and care he had for them. And every year around this time, about the end of August, beginning of September, um, it's the beginning of college football season. Uh, which means it's another year for me to be let down by the UCLA football team. Right? We had a very terrible first quarter against, I don't even remember what team we played, but like, we had a terrible first quarter, but you know, we managed to pull away in the first half, second half, so you know, my hopes are very, my expectations are down low. But you know, as I was watching the game yesterday, I realized, you know, like, maybe because I was sermon prepping too, um, football provides the, the perfect illustration for how we might approach service and sacrifice. So, for example, take the offensive line, right? Those are the big dudes, the, the big boys that literally they're, they're sacrificing their bodies. They're putting it on the line to protect the quarterback. And they, they might have love for the game, but you can't tell me like any sane person really loves to get in like a mini car accident every time they step on the field, right? Like no one is, maybe they might, but like no one wants that. No one enjoys that. 
sacrifice, sacrifice of their bodies is essentially just part of their job. It's what they're getting paid to do, right? Now, on the other hand, you have people like Tom Brady, who, like, indisput indisputably, he is the greatest of all time. I have to, like, acknowledge that. Not just because of how good he is, but because of how much sacrifice he's willing to take to win the Super Bowl, right? It's very common uh, knowledge for, among, like, NFL fans to know that Tom Brady, he's taken a pay cut, and it's not just, like, couple hundred bucks, couple thousand bucks, but he's given up millions of dollars in his contract so that his team can sign other great players, so that people will want to play with him and, of course, um, potentially win the Super Bowl, right? For, for Tom Brady, even though he's sacrificing millions of dollars, that's such a small price to pay, right? Whether you approach sacrifice as an offensive lineman or as Tom Brady, there's, there's an inherent benefit to your sacrifice, right? You're giving things up, but there is a benefit for you, right? If you're approaching ministry as an O-lineman, you're, you're just clocking in and out because, hey, sacrifice is just part of the job, right? This is just what we're supposed to do. We've kind of accepted that. You don't really delight in it, but, hey, like, this is what pays the bills. I got to do it. On the other hand, if you approach service and sacrifice like Tom Brady, you're, you're okay making the sacrifices. Like, what's a couple million dollars if I can win uh, the Super Bowl, right? For us, some of us, we, we, we're okay with sacrifice but because we get accomplishment, maybe even adoration from people. But you see both offensive linemen and Tom Brady, they both have love for the game, but they're both inherently motivated by self-interest. And Paul, he... Gives us, obviously, football didn't exist back then, but he gives us the picture of someone with the most genuine, undiluted love of the game, and it's that of the nursing mother in verse 7. And as I prepare, prepare for this sermon, I couldn't help but to think, how appropriate is this image, right? Is this illustration, how appropriate is it for us as our church is growing in terms of numbers and in terms of families and children? You know, every time that I talk to a mom, my respect just grows tremendously. And I know I mentioned, we've been mentioning retreat, but, you know, seeing like a day and a half, almost two days of just moms and parents just taking care of their kids, it's like, man, like really humbling. And man, like it's kind of stymied my baby fever a little bit. But, but once a child is born, the, the mother pretty much sacrifices everything, Right? Her time, her body, her sleep, career, hobbies, money, like she gives everything up. Her life is no longer her own. And I've heard enough stories to know that there are many nights where, where it doesn't matter if you're a mom or a dad. Like where you're a parent, where raising a child, it can feel like such a big sacrifice. You're giving up so much. But at the end of the day, at least so far from what I've heard, there's still a genuine love. Like there's still joy and delight in sacrificing for their children. See, a nursing mother isn't just doing a job like a football player. They're not waiting to clock out, maybe, maybe not. But she loves the sacrifice. The nursing mother loves the sacrifice because she loves her child. She loves her baby. And Paul, as an apostle, he could have approached his ministry like Tom Brady or any elite quarterback. He could have demanded respect and money and accommodations. He could have just put on a face and like, hey, like I'm here just to plant a church and once I'm done with that, I'm, I'm out. But that's not what he does, right? He says he became gentle among them. He became like a nursing mother to the church there. His affectionate desire for their well-being was motivated by not anything else 
just simply his love for them. One commentator, he states that this verse, verse 8, is the most deeply affectionate language that Paul uses about his relation with his converts. Right? He, was, he was ready not just to preach the gospel and bounce, like, hey, I did my job, I did my thing, I'm out. But he shared his very self, just like a nursing mother with her child. Right? The word for self here is suke. It, it means the, the seat and center of the deep emotional inner human life. Pretty much his soul, his very self, he was ready to share that, ready to give that to the Thessalonians. And Paul and his team, they worked longer hours, right, verse 9. They got less sleep. They worked 9 to 5 because they loved the Thessalonians so much. They were willing to give everything they had, right, getting deeply emotionally involved and invested with them, even if they were there for only 18 months. And again, it's because he actually loved the people. Right? The, the amount of sacrifice for them, it didn't matter the cost. You know, on my way home Thursday, uh, I saw this. I live right next to a middle school, so school started a couple weeks ago. On my way home, I saw at the stoplight uh, a middle school kid and his grandpa. And I, I don't know if it was because I was tired, if it was the heat, or you know, because I was thinking about this passage, but probably a combination of all three, but, you know, as I was stopped at the light and they were walking across, I got real, really, really emotional because I saw the kid, like, it's really hot, right? Like, it had already gone really hot. He, like, he threw a little tantrum, and, like, he was a pretty big kid, too, but, like, he threw a little tantrum, and, like, he just took his backpack off, didn't even look at his grandpa and just, like, gave it, like, tossed it to him, right? And then in my mind, I'm like, dude, what is wrong with you, man? Like, your grandpa looks pretty old, and he had a jacket on, right, and, like, almost 100-degree heat. But when I, I was getting angry, but when I looked at the grandpa's face, like, I just saw him, like, smile, right? And he just took the backpack, didn't say a word, just put it on his back in the heat with the jacket on. That moment, that was, I believe, a demonstration of love that a nursing mother would show for her child. Right? It's, the, it's, it's the sacrifice of the love that he has for his grandson. See, Paul primarily understood his service. Again, it wasn't for recognition. It wasn't to say, look how much I'm doing. But it was for the sake of pleasing God. But another motivation he had for everything that he did is because he genuinely loved the people. And it seems so simple. It seems so elementary. Uh, but I wonder what it would look like, right, if every member of our church grew this sort of love for one another. Right? And I'm not saying by any means, like, dude, like, we're... Where's love? I'm not saying that no one has love at, for one another here. But if we could somehow grow in our, and mature in our love for every single person, right? For the person on the left or the right who you barely know, don't even know, met for the first time. Or if it's a member that you've had deep relationship with for years. If we could grow this kind of love for one another just by virtue of being members of the same body. So before we move on to the last portion of our sermon, I... I invite us to do a quick inventory, right? Are we approaching sacrifice and ministry and service like an old lineman or Tom Brady where you're looking for benefits? How can I gain from my sacrifice? Or does it more resemble a nursing mother's love for her child? Right? Whenever the time to serve comes up, I, I would hope and encourage all of us, just lift up a short prayer. Right? Ask God for, for him to reframe our service, our sacrifice, as an act of genuine love for each other. And I hope that we can intentionally see each other with that kind of love, growing that kind of love, um, 
we have with even the closest people in our lives. But we've looked at two motivations for sacrifice, right? Recognition and love. And now we'll quickly just take a look at the results of the sacrifice in the church body. What happens when we as a church apply this sort of sacrifice, apply this approach um, in our church? And to do that, just take a look again at verse 8. Right? Paul says, though being affectionately desirous of you. This, this desire of like, I want to protect you. I want to do everything I can to uh, have the best interests in mind. We are ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. Because you had become very dear to us. You had become very dear to us. We see that the Thessalonians... They had become very dear to Paul. It, it wasn't like Paul just came to Thessalonica and was like, boom, day one, yo, I love you guys. No, like he came and, and it took time. Like scholars, again, said 18 months that I was there. It wasn't the fir very first moment that Paul met the Thessalonians. He was saying, oh my goodness, I want to give myself, my very self, my being to you. But it's as he spent the weeks and months making these small sacrifices, right? Picking up a nine-to-five job, coming in after work and, and sharing the gospel. It's as he made these small sacrifices and got to know the community, got to know the people, that his love for the Thessalonians, it grew. It grew and grew and grew. And it's not, the, the order wasn't he, because he loved them that he sacrificed his time and resources and everything. But it's as he sacrificed his resources, time, money, and everything, they became dear to him. And, and that's, that doesn't make sense. That's counterintuitive for us, right? The, in our culture today, and even for myself, the reverse is often the case, right? Like, for example, there's, I think a lot of us have certain people in our lives where, hey, if they ask you to do something, like, no matter how crazy, no matter how busy you are, like, you drop everything, no hesitation, do it, right? There... There, there's some people like that in my life, very few, where serving them, it doesn't feel like a sacrifice. It's like, dude, yeah, just let me know when, what, where, like, I'm there, right? Doesn't feel like a sacrifice. But for the rest of the people in my life, in my sinfulness, I need to, like, check my calendar. <laughs> I need to make sure I'm not busy. I don't have other things going on. I need to make sure it's not hot outside. And I have all these other, like, conditions where, honestly, like, you have to kind of earn my sacrifice, right? There has to be some sort of benefit. But this is, this is exactly the opposite of what Paul does. Right? He instead demonstrates that as we serve and make sacrifices for one another, for our church, for our body, that's how our love for each other will deepen. And I can't help but to think that if our love for each other went beyond just our close circles, if, if we were willing to sacrifice and go above and beyond for every member of our church, how big of a difference, how countercultural, how different of a community Grace Hill would be, right? The, and when we do that, the result is transformation. It's a transformation in how we view sacrifice, right? Again, sacrifice, if this happens, will no longer be viewed as sacrifice. We wouldn't consider it as us giving things up. And the sequence becomes sacrifice begets love, which begets sacrifice, which begets, and the cycle continues and continues. As we continue to, to sacrifice, our love deepens and vice versa. And this is the sort of transformation that I believe can take place at our church. I hesitate to share this, but I'm not married yet, but I took a big step towards marriage two weeks ago when I proposed to my fiancée, Esther, who is actually here with us. She's in the back over there. 
this process, I didn't just propose to her like after our first date, um, but this process, it took many, many cycles of sacrifice and love. Right? We had to get past the initial sacrifices of being set up and going on a blind date, like, ooh, what's that going to be like? Like, going past that of driving, she lives in Walnut, I'm in, like, Artesia, so, you know, it's a bit of a drive, not terrible, but we had to make these small sacrifices. We had to buy each other uh, food and gifts and all these different things, but as we made these sacrifices, over time, those things became less, uh, in my mind at least, maybe for us or two, less a sacrifice and an opportunity to serve one another, right? Sacrifice, it becomes less about keeping track of how much you've done for a person and more about how much more you can do for the other person that you love. Whether it's a spouse or a child, your closest friends or your family, I think most of us have a reference, have some people where we're willing to just drop everything and do whatever, right? We have this reference of the lengths of love and sacrifice that Paul shows us. And Paul, he's simply following the model that Christ gave, right? To give rather than to get, to serve rather than to be served, and to love rather than to be loved. When we think about a sacrifice, really is just the great commandment that God has given us. It's to love him and to love others. When we follow Christ, we no longer see sacrifice as this burdensome thing, but as a joy. It's when we reframe service as a way to please God rather than fulfilling a duty or obligation, rather than gaining recognition. And it's when we see sacrifice and service and ministry as an expression of deep, genuine love for others. When we have that approach, then our view on sacrifice is transformed. And just practically, how does this happen? How does this happen at Grace Hill? Uh, Very simply, I just think we need to get to know one another more. It's very simple. There's nothing crazy that we need to do. We just need to follow the model that Paul gives, right, where the metaphorical hands go first and then the heart follows, right? When we get to, again, know the people sitting to the left and right, front and back of us, and we, we begin to develop these relationships, we deepen our affections for one another. It's when we cultivate these connections that our approach to service is transformed, Right? Your sacrifice, quote-unquote, is transformed from this impersonal job of, hey, I'm setting up canopies and chairs, to a personal service of, hey, I'm making sure that Stephen and Thomas and all these other people have this place to worship together. Right? You stop thinking, oh, man, like I'm on rotation again for education. And you begin to think, man, I can't wait to pour into like, Judah and Abby and Ezra's lives. Right? There's this personal connection. Your mindset to community group, it shifts from, dude, it's already Wednesday night. Oh, man, I have to go meet with my community group again. To, dude, I can't wait to hear how Kevin and Ashley and all my community group is doing. I can't wait to pray for them and fellowship with them. And I think as more and more of our members do this, the culture within our church, within our walls will begin to shift. So to conclude, a couple months ago, I had dinner with... Actually, it was a long time ago. I had dinner with two brothers from our church. And inevitably, we start to talk about, you know, just ministry at church and how it's going. And, you know, I took a risk and I asked them, hey, like, do you feel overwhelmed? Like, do you feel, like, tired that you're serving so much? That you're pretty much on rotation doing something every Sunday? And then one of them, like, he started, like, he paused and he was like, hmm, 
honestly, and then in my mind, I was just like, oh, man, like, he's going to tell me, like, he needs a bracing setup. And I'm like, oh, bracing myself for that. But he thought about it, and he told me that, no, like, serving isn't a burden. Right? Obviously, the, the, the labor and the physical part of it, it can get tiring. It, it, you can get sweaty after service. But in the grand scheme of things, that's not a big deal when he understood that, hey, this is my way of blessing the church. Like, this is not that big of a deal. And, right, he wasn't making a big deal or a show out of it. And then to, to my encouragement, the other brother was like, yeah, me too. Like, I feel, I feel fine about it. And, and what's awesome is, like, that's not the only conversation I've had. Like, I've, be, I've begun to talk to more and more people, and they feel the same way. And one of the cool things about being the Sunday Ops guy is that, like, every Sunday I get to rub shoulders with people. I get to see a lot of our members that are serving. And the past year, as we start to regather, it's been awesome, right? Seeing new people, new volunteers getting plugged in and just serving our church. It's been awesome to see that. But another encouragement I have for our church is, like, the different low-key ways that different members of our church have been doing ministry, have been sacrificing their time, their energy, their homes, and their resources to be the church, right? To go open up and welcome a brother that's going through hard times, right? Just, hey, come eat with us, right? To listen to people, to host newcomers for meals, basically being the church and sacrificing and not making a big deal out of it. At the same time, I, I want to challenge our church, like, let's not be just complacent there, Let's see, let's go to a place where every one of us, every member here can see and take the opportunities that the Lord is giving us to activate us for the work of ministry. To kind of take that next step of sacrifice. And a word for our newcomers or those that are kind of checking out our church for the faith is that this is the kind of church we want to be. We don't want to be this polished production where every, there's no mistakes and stuff, where like the AC's blasting at you know, 100%. <laughs> Uh, we want to be a place, a community, where we have a little bit of skin in the game. Where, where it's not just coming to Sunday and our heads are being blessed with information, but where we kind of pull up our sleeves and just kind of get down and dirty with ministry and sacrifice and all these things, right? This is the kind of church we want to be where every member is doing ministry. And lastly, I know I said it's not about recognition, but I want to affirm and thank everyone that has sacrificed and continues to pour into our church. Like, it, at least for me and our staff, it doesn't go unnoticed. Right? Whether it's volunteering in a ministry or leading a community group or even for just parents, like just making it here on a Sunday, I know that's a huge sacrifice. I know it takes a lot. So I want to affirm and, and encourage our church that as we continue to mature, I hope that our, our church, that Grace Hill, we can have a culture where we, we're not just professional spectators, we're not just consumers, we're not just reaping the benefits, but where all of us can get to a place where we're joyfully making sacrifices, where we're serving one another out of love for one another. So as we step into this new church calendar year, I hope that we can take these small steps to deepen our love for Christ and for each other.